Welcome to another episode of the Get Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bott from Sports Advantage. I'm here with my co-host, Coach Manchi. Coach, what, what's the, is the whirlwind done? Are you guys done celebrating? Or I know you are because I talked to you like Sunday morning or Monday morning and you were already watching track videos and there, you know, there's 24 hour rule, right? Just celebrate and then back to work. Hey, the best state championship, like, uh, is, is the next one. We're always trying to look forward to next year's season. And like we tell the kids are, you know, the kids that are coming back, your record zero and zero. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the kids that graduated, they can't win anymore for you. You know, you got, you got to win with the new kids and it's not like college where you can recruit new ones. You, you get what you get. You got to build and, and go from there. Um, well, Dean, you know, I think over the last year and a half, as we've done the podcast, you know, we've got to speak with some really unique individuals as far as people that have talked about, um, you know, some of the pandemic stuff and some of the different things that, that they've had to go through as an athlete, as a coach. Um, and it really, you know, begs the need for addressing the mental side of sports, sports performance, um, you know, the need that these athletes have, the pressure that they go under, um, you know, playing in front of, you know, at the high school level, five, 6,000 people all the way to the college level where, you know, if you're playing at Ohio State or Michigan here, it's 110,000. Um, and so I think we're really seeing that. So we really wanted to address that with our guests this week. Um, we have a good friend of mine. Um, he's part of the uh, No Logo Iron Club. Dean, you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that they're, the, they're the traveling um, the traveling uh, scholarship and non-scholarship guys from formerly from the University <laughs> of Wisconsin. And then anybody that Joe Thomas is that wants to train with or or hang out with, uh, they kind of go to different sports advantage gyms or different high school gyms and they use the facility. And um, I think everybody gets a kick out of it. And uh, but it's it's been pretty cool because I've gotten to meet some really cool people because a lot of times they're at my facilities. Um, but this guy's been with the University of Wisconsin for a couple of years now. He's a director of meditation training uh, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Um, he's also the co-founder of Inner Edge Med Meditation. And a unique thing, Dean, that you didn't know, he actually shot, was part of a video for Under Armour um, here at the Mecca of Sports Training in Dane County, the Sports Advantage Wanakee. Uh, and we're talking about Chad McGee. Chad, what's going on, brother? What's happening, Bob? What's happening, Coach? Good to be on with you guys. Thanks thanks for the intro. I love like all the different layers of connection that we have. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 crazy to walk. You know, before we get to Chad, Dina, you know, Joe, Joe thinks of himself now as a strength and conditioning coach. And he doesn't realize that everybody has a genetic disposition that he has. You know, even at age 35 or 40 or whatever he is now. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to tone him back a little on that. We might get him on again here and talk about, you know, program design for those of us that are past our prime. Um, but anyways, Chad, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, the role you have at the University of Wisconsin, because it's very unique, uh, something that that was added a few years ago. And it really, um, really is a definite need for, for what's going on in, in today's society and for our athletes nowadays. Yeah, so so my job, you know, at, at University of Wisconsin in the athletic department is the director of meditation training. And, you know, honestly, you know, sometimes when I say that, I think for some folks, you know, kind of stereotypical or traditional images can come to mind of what meditation is. And, and that's not who I am. That's not how I roll. You know, what I'm really interested in is how to bring rigorous mental training into high performance environments. 
and so meditation, all meditation training is, is training the mind. Uh, and the position that I have at Wisconsin is really a hybrid position. So it's both a training position and a research position. So, you know, I spend a bunch of time with teams, with athletes, with coaches, uh, and then also spend time working with scientific collaborators to understand empirically, you know, what are the impacts of what we're doing. And all of this is really framed up as strength conditioning for the mind. So, you know, no athlete would ever expect to go onto their field of competition without training their body, yet they do it all the time with their mind. You know, we talk about the importance of the mental game, but we don't set aside time to train for it. Uh, so we're kind of flipping that at Wisconsin and setting aside time to train for the mental side of the game. Dean, real quick before you go, I, I, when we had Coach Jones on, this was a great point. You know, Steve Jones, I, you know, I'm sure, Chad, you're familiar with Coach Jones and you know, he says when he talks too, he says, you know, ask coaches point blank, like how important is the mental side of the game? And I think we would all agree as coaches that we think it's pretty important. But like you said, we're always training the body, but we're not training the mind. And so I think your role is, is, you know, exceptional for the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, I appreciate that. And then I'll just build like before you go coach, like off of that and, you know, you, both of you as strength coaches, uh, I work unbelievably closely with our strength coaches so that that work is embedded. It's not just kind of like, hey, that work that happens over there. No, it's the strength coach maybe finishes a lift uh, and then says, all right, you know, now we're going to do the work with Chad, you know, or it's before a lift or, you know, so I think that orientation of strength and conditioning and strength coaches in particular are kind of key collaborators in this work. Chad, when we talk mental, you know, training and what, what, what was there a situation when you were in college that, you know, struck an interest with you to get involved with this? Was it some of your experience being an athlete when you were younger? You know, what what prompted you to get into this field? And then, you know, how does somebody uh, go about that? Is there a, a college degree that you as get? Is there is there certifications? You know, I think a lot of people are wondering, okay, I, I remember when I was down at Wisconsin and I was under John Depp and down there, working yep. with the football uh, team as an intern for the strength and conditioning department, strength and conditioning was just starting to become popular. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those situations where there might've been, you know, one head coach and one assistant. And then all of a sudden now, you know, there's strength and conditioning coaches everywhere. Every high school's got one. And I think we're going to see that same thing with the mental training portion of it. Yeah, I, I completely agree on that history, like of the trajectory, you know, there was, you know, John Detman, JD, getting it rolling here, Boyd Epley out at Nebraska, you know, getting it started there, like these initial strength coaches. Uh, and then, of course, now the science is clear, the benefits are clear, and it's embedded at every level. So, yeah, so so for me and my personal story, I'll try to keep it as, as brief as I can here. I know this isn't a three-hour-long podcast. This isn't the Joe Rogan experience, so I'll try to tighten it up. Now we <laughs> so, get right to the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so for me, very personally, I came to mindfulness and meditation training uh, to be transparent out of challenge, out of suffering in my own life. And it was uh, at the end of my high school career and all this suffering showed up. And I remember being in my parents' backyard and feeling like I had a choice. I could either, I could run from this, I could hide from this, or I could find a way to face it and go through it. And something in me quivered and said, you have to go through this difficulty face it head on. And I didn't know how to do that. Uh, so that put me on a path to try to figure that out. And it was ultimately when I encountered mindfulness and meditation 
that I had both kind of the moment to moment skills, but also the larger frameworks to handle that difficulty, to handle that adversity. Uh, and then that suffering changed. And this just became a huge support for me as Chad, as a guy living his life. Um, never thought I'd teach anybody anything about this stuff. Uh, my first career was as a public school teacher. I felt like I was sitting on a gold mine. So I started to explore, share a little bit with kids in my class, share with my stressed out colleagues after school. They started to benefit. Uh, and that kind of hooked me on the second part of my career, which is how do you skillfully teach these practices to other people? Uh, so I did that as a school-based person for a while. And then I had an opportunity to join a group on campus at UW-Madison called the Center for Healthy Minds. And the Center for Healthy Minds happens to be kind of one of the world leading institutions studying scientifically kind of the brain, how the brain works and how we can train the brain uh, to, be, to be healthier, to be more flourishing. Uh, so I was based there for six years, uh, collaborating with scientists, working with law enforcement officers, working with uh, you know, kids in schools, teachers in schools, and then ultimately with athletes. Um, I was a college soccer player, always saw how this stuff could show up in sport environments, uh, but have an orientation of don't teach meditation until you're asked to teach. Don't force it on people. Uh, so where there's interest, go there. Uh, so one of the first people uh, that really showed a lot of interest in this work was somebody um, who I know you know about, and, and I'm sure coach, you know him as well, Chris Borland. Uh, so Chris, after he retired from the NFL, after playing his career at Wisconsin, wanted to do something to benefit guys who had played the game. Long story short, we created an eight-week training for a group of retired NFL guys. Uh, we didn't know what would happen. Would they think this mindfulness stuff is a bunch of, you know, hippy-dippy, woo-woo, what is meditation, played D-line in the league for a decade. And, and that's not what they found. They found it rigorous. They found it beneficial uh, and for them in their own personal lives. And some of those guys were on staff at Wisconsin. So uh, they wanted to bring it in to benefit their current athletes. So that included Ross Kalaji, uh, who at the time was head strength coach, now D-line coach, Chris McIntosh, who at the time was uh, one of the senior athletic administrators and, of course, is now the AD. So we just started small pilot with a few teams and, and the work kind of grew from there. So as, uh, you know, as you're kind of going through this stuff, Chad, how, you know, this is, this is probably a little off, you know, the, the mental training portion of it, but this, I think, is great for young people to learn. There was no position there at Wisconsin. You know, how do you go about, I don't want to say selling yourself because I think that's the wrong way to say, but you really have to, right? And how did you go about really, you know, not only going through the process, but also showing, you know, these people in the decision-making process like Ross and like Mac guys, you know, and even, you know, at the time, probably coach Chris and, you know, some of the other coaches that you work with, mm -hmm. that there's a need for this, you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times you go back to the, you know, the old school coaches, right? You got to practice, you got to make sure you're eating right, and you got to make sure you're lifting uh, and going to school. Those are the four things our kids got to worry about. Now you're going to add, you know, some stuff that, like you said, maybe looked at like right or left of center. How did you go about, you know, staying on course and just really kind of showing, hey, there is a need for this and it's a competitive advantage for the program? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. So, I mean, this was, uh, anything but a straight path, right? Like this, this position of director of meditation, like you're saying, it's the, it's the first of its kind in major sports. So you don't just go get master's degree in meditation training for sports and then get the job. Like it doesn't, doesn't even exist. Right. And, you know, maybe in 15, 20 years, it will in the same way that 
you know, you get licensed up in, you know, strength and conditioning. So, um, so for me, the motivation, frankly, was never to get a job in sports. Uh, the motivation was never to work at the University of Wisconsin. The motivation was to share these practices with folks in a rigorous way so that they could benefit. So I was deeply motivated. So I spent a long time kind of um, not, you know, perfecting the craft, but getting really good at understanding what meditation is, how it can work, developing a passion for that. And then when these opportunities emerged with, you know, Coach Galaji, with, with Mac, you know, with Kelly Sheffield, with these other coaches, um, wanting to do it in a way so that their athletes could benefit. Uh, and then they get it. They get that the difference at this level of sport is small. Everyone is lifting weights. Everyone is paying attention to nutrition, right? Everyone is, you know, got Normatec boots and every other sort of recovery thing that they can do. So what are the other things that they can do to separate? So, um, so a very clear example of this would be one of the first times we were training in the Wisconsin uh, football weight room in winter conditioning. And we did a practice. And after the practice, we're checking in, kind of what did you notice from that practice? And Jonathan Taylor on the team at the time said the way that he felt after that practice, the relaxed alert that he felt at that moment was the same relaxed alert that he feels when he's at his best pre-snap. He knows his responsibility, knows what he needs to do, but he's not overthinking it. He's just present and able to be responsive and execute what he needs to do. And his reflection was for athletes, they know what that feels like, but they don't know how to train to experience that more often. And so for him, he said, great, is this something I can do to train to experience more often? Then he was on board. Uh, and athletes, of course, have that orientation of training to get better. So this is training the mind to get better just in the same way that, like you say, they're used to, you know, training their bodies to get better. Hey, Chad, uh, we're talking about Jonathan Taylor here, and I was watching one of his, uh, he had a nice quote, and he, and he really gave you a lot of kudos there. And he talked about a breathing technique that really helped him. It was called the four, five, six. Could you explain that to our listeners? Yeah, happy to. So this is a, a great practice. You know, JT uses it, athletes use it. Uh, you know, I work with a, a range of folks, you know, tactical teams in the FBI, they use it. Um, so it's basically, and I invite anybody listening, you know, or watching to, to join me as we do it. So you breathe in for four, you hold for five, and you blow out for six. Then you just notice, what was that like? Like, what was the impact in your mind and body? So I'll even ask you guys, like, what did you guys notice? What was that like for you just doing that practice? I just seemed like everything slowed down yeah. for me. This gave me That's some clarity. You said the same thing. Some focus. That's the first thing that, that came to my mind when I, when I got done doing it. So those are really important things that you said. So I feel like things slowed down, right? So when athletes are performing at their best, that's what it feels like, right? And they talk about it all the time, right? Like the game starts to slow down. So some of that, yes, comes with experience, right? It comes with the reps. It comes with getting out there. But we can kind of corroborate that experience, kind of deepen that experience by training the mind for these specific qualities. We don't just have to wait for the mental game to hopefully catch up. We can train for it. That quality is slowing down. You also said, coach, a sense of focus. So, of course, like focus is unbelievably important. How many times you guys as strength coaches say some version of, one rep at a time, one set at a time, right? Like constantly, right? right. Um, yet the mind 
the untrained mind will wander off all the time. So we can train it to be where we want it to be and where we want it to be is in the present moment and focused. So just a simple practice like the four, five, six then allows that kind of things to slow down and be more focused. So would any of us, whether you know it's a high school athlete, a college athlete, a professional, a parent, whatever roles we find ourselves in, having things slow down and being a little bit more focused is gonna allow us to perform at a higher level without a doubt. And it's pretty simple to, you know, I mean, I don't know how long that took us, 15 seconds maybe uh, to do that. So we can do it in between sets. You know, as adults, we can do it in between meetings. Players can do it on the sideline. It's, such, it's a very easy practice to integrate. So Chad, you know, that, you did a lot of work with the, the women's volleyball team. And last year they were just had an incredible season. We had Laura Barnes on our mm-hmm. podcast and, and she talked about, you know, that whole experience. But, you know, getting towards the end of the year, those games got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so as, as you know, your role, how did you help them, you know, prepare for those bigger games? Because obviously there's a lot more pressure. There's a lot more at stake. So what are some of the things that you brought to the table to, to really help those athletes? Yeah, so that's been a great team to work with. And that's been a team that's been added now for, uh, you know, three, four years. They've embedded this work. And I think that's the first part of it is they didn't start to engage in this training the moments before the moments got huge and said, oh, crap, right? You know, like now we're about to go to the final four. How do we get ready? No, they had been engaged for years and spent time in the off season doing this work, spending time with me doing this, this training. So it was just woven into the fabric of how the team trains. So I think that's kind of the first point that's really important. And then the second is that, you know, for, for that team, we talk a lot about a metaphor that comes from a friend and colleague I have named George Mumford. So George is the guy who, when Phil Jackson, the Zen master, when he wanted to bring this work into, you know, the Bulls and the Lakers, he called up George. George was the meditation teacher we brought in. And George's metaphor that he likes to use, and I love it, is the eye of the hurricane. And of course, the eye of the hurricane is stable. It's got a sense of balance, a sense of okayness, while the storm is raging all around. And that eye of the hurricane, that's mindfulness. It's that sense of stability, that sense of okayness, while conditions around are crazy, whether that's, you know, 110,000 people in the horseshoe, right? Or, you know, the first national championship on the line for Badger volleyball. They've trained for that stability in the midst of adversity. And then in a very particular way for Badger volleyball, one of the ways that it showed up was in that championship match. So for yeah. folks that weren't paying attention, it was it was a five-set match, which is the you know most amount of sets you can go to in volleyball. Uh, and we're playing Nebraska, our arch rival. Uh, and we thought we had won the national championship, you know, like stormed the floor, hugging each other, thought it was there. And then the Nebraska coach challenged the call. Uh, so our players come back to the sideline and, you know, surging emotions, right? You go from the highest of highs to confusion to not knowing, racing thoughts, racing emotions. And they talked about in those moments doing the very practices that we had trained for, like four, five, six breath, or like you know, be where your feet are, feeling the sensations that were happening in their feet, tracking their racing thoughts, tracking those racing emotions, letting things settle so that they could take the floor again and win the second national championship point, bringing the first national championship home in program history. So if we want them to show up in the biggest moments, we got to train for them to show up in the biggest moments, just like we would never expect a physical skill to be there in those big moments. 
we haven't trained for it, then we shouldn't expect the mental skills to be there either. And Badger Volleyball has absolutely done that. So Chad, you know, kind of building off that, you, you have a program now with, with like that, that now is at the pinnacle of, of, of women's volleyball, right? So now getting them there, you know, is one thing, keeping them there is another, right? It's kind of the old Ric Flair adage to beat the man, you got to beat the man, but yeah. being the man and staying the man is a whole different deal, right? So now do your, do your thought processes or I don't want to say tactics or, or, you know, approaches to the, to that team change now that they're there or do you just, is it just, you're just watering it. You're just consistent. You're just kind of going, keeping the foundations built and then every now and then maybe touching on some different things. I would say it's a both. And I mean, I think there's certain things that like are foundational that don't change. And, you know, I don't have the expertise in strength and conditioning, but I'm sure there's certain foundational things that just don't change, right? Like any program is going to have those elements. And then there's certain things like that need to be squatting. Like back squatting. <laughs> and, and then there's the things that you say that like Joe Thomas makes up for our lift group that, you know, that I just got to say like, hey man, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like that, is, that is not, that is not smart for, for this body, right? Like, yeah, I don't have that same genetic predisposition. So, um, so yeah, so some of that's the change, you know, to kind of meet the team where they're at. And I think that's one of the things, you know, about sport that's so great, right, is even though, yes, it's still Wisconsin volleyball, Wisconsin volleyball this year from last year is, you know, very, very different, right? Like we lost, you know, four All-Americans, you know, major contributors, and we brought back a lot of major contributors too, right? So kind of like finding roles on a team and seeing that even adjust over the course of a season, you know, like just because you're a starter, you know, day one doesn't mean that's where you're going to be at the whole year. So kind of having the flexibility to adjust as things go and, and even for individual players, like it's different when somebody can kind of step in as a role player. And then when you're expected to be the person, like you're the, you're the dog that's got to get everyone else going. then that's a different spot to be. So it kind of evolves kind of as teams evolve. So uh, with that being said, there's some elements that will never change because, you know, stability and focus and being able to kind of embody our purpose. Those are never going to be things that aren't good ideas to be better at so then now let's look at a a different scenario here chad obviously um, most of our listeners are familiar with the scenarios going on with wisconsin football Um, you know you have a change in coaching Um, so you have a lot of emotions going on with that right Um, you have some players that are maybe jumping ship um you know, turbulent, you have coaches, you know, you, you know, looking at, over their shoulder. Um, and then last weekend you had a death of a former teammate. I mean, that's, I mean, that in itself right there, like, like that, you, there's no way you can prepare anybody for that. Um, but what are some things that maybe, you know, because kids are going through a lot of different emotions um, and you can only have one champion every year. Um, and so what are some things maybe after those events right? Because you always want to prepare for events, but there are certain things that you just don't see coming, right? After an event, like, like what happened last week to some of these players, unfortunately, or the fact of losing, you know, personnel or coaches during the year, it's not something, you know, you're going into a season. These are the guys we ride with, you know, you never think that this is going to happen. Changes are made, you know, what, right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, we're not here to judge whether it's the right choice or not. 
but where do you come in? Like where, where, where do you come in as a stabilizing factor for these athletes? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. So, I mean, a couple of thoughts, like one off the bat is, you know, my work, I'm not a licensed mental health provider. That's right. not my training. That's not what I do. Uh, and of course the Venn diagram between something like meditation training and, you know, something like clinical sports psych has some crossover and that's, you know, something we're figuring out at Wisconsin is kind of how these things work together. Um, but with that being said, you know, there's going to be times for anybody that we're going to need, you know, maybe that extra level of support that may come from a therapist. And, uh, and so I make sure to, you know, be a conduit to make sure athletes are able to access that. Right. You know, so I think that's true for all of us, right? Like, just like if an athlete were to break his leg, we wouldn't say, you know, tough it out and get out there next week. We'd say, go to the friggin' doctor and, you know, get it fixed so you can come back. Like we need to treat mental, emotional injury, you know, in the same way. So with all of that being said, um, I think, you know, for these, you know, for Wisconsin football in particular, right. It's been a hell of a season, right. Between coaching change and, you know, Devin's passing and, you know, transfers and all sorts of, you know, things have happened and, and a whole lot of not knowing. Uh, and when not knowing comes up, uh, for a lot of folks, we can get tight, we can get constricted, worry can come up, right? Uh, and of course, tight, constricted, and worry are about the exact opposite of the conditions that it takes to play well, right? So what we want to do is we want to loosen things up, right? So we get in the body, uh, and even like in something like the four, five, six breath, you guys didn't mention this, but it could have happened to you. But a lot of times in a practice like that or other practices, people will notice that they were storing tension in their shoulders or storing tension in their jaw and it'll kind of relax a little bit for them, right? Not because we're saying, hey, you need to relax because you know the best way to get somebody to not relax is to tell them to relax, right? Like, I'm sure we've all figured that out in our relationships. Uh, so anyways, we train the mind in a particular <laughs> way <laughs> and, and it naturally, so it's, you know, kind of relaxes. So we get rid of some of that tension. And then to your, to your other point, Bob, it's a really good point is, um, kind of on the emotional responses that come up in these sorts of situations. And, you know, the way I think about it is for any athlete who wants to be at their best or any person really who wants to be at their best, there's four areas we have to get desperately concerned with. And the first area is behaviors. Second is emotions. Third is senses. And fourth is thoughts. So all put together, the acronym becomes best. To be at our best, we have to have the skills to be able to work in all of these areas. And of course, in sport environments, we're really, really good at the behavior part, whether it's sport coaches or strength coaches, we're unbelievable at this. And it's easy to identify, right? It's literally what's on tape, we can see it. But with something like emotions, it, you know, emotions, happy, sad, excited, nervous, motivated, worried, anxious, these are all normal human emotions. We're all gonna have them because we're human beings. And if we're human beings who have chosen to be in a high intensity environment, then we are going to have high intensity emotions. It's just part of the path. It's not a problem. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It's just part of what happens. So then the question becomes, do we have the skills to be able to work with it? So first is just acknowledging that the emotions aren't a problem, that a little anxiety, a little worry in the midst of a coaching change, that's a pretty healthy response. If somebody didn't have that response, I'd be a little concerned, right? Like, we're talking, you know, that's a sociopath response to like not be a little bit worried, right? So, um, so I think just acknowledging that's okay. And then the other is the way we experience emotions is to feel them. They have to go through us. 
We don't experience emotions by thinking our way through it. We have to feel it in our bodies. So when we feel it on our bodies with the eye of the hurricane, with that stability, then they don't knock us over. So this you know, example with Badger volleyball, they're experiencing strong emotions, but with stability. Badger football, they're experiencing strong emotions of a coaching change, of so many things happening in the program, you know, from you know, high highs of you know, some of these big wins to some really challenging moments. So we experience those emotions directly without being swept away by them. And so I think Badger volleyball or Badger football, you know, has done a great job similar to Badger volleyball embedding this work for years and in season, you know, so every Monday after the lift group finishes, the last 15 minutes of the lift group is, you know, mindfulness and meditation training with Chad. It's just, it's built right in uh, so that they have the skills to be able to navigate this, you know, as things emerge. Chad, let's talk about multiple sports, you know, as far as the high school athlete, you know, engaging and participating in multiple sports. We talk a lot on our podcast, both Brian and I firmly believe that playing multiple sports at least the high school level is, is so important, not only physically, it's, we talked about injury prevention, and we just talk about helping athletes in all the sports, you know, getting all the movements down, increasing their athleticism. But let's talk the mental, you know, side of maybe specializing too early and, you know, some of the uh, situations where that might hinder an athlete or especially at a very young age. Yeah, I mean, I think the orientation here of what you're describing kind of from physical strength and conditioning, I think of very similarly, like there's lots of risks to early sport specialization on the mental side as well. So, you know, one of the things that we value in athletes is, you know, cognitive flexibility. We don't, you know, teach them, you know, one particular play and that's the only way they can ever run it, right? You know, we teach them concepts so that they can adjust and have the flexibility to apply it in the moment. Well, if they're only playing one particular sport, then in their mind, they're only thinking kind of one particular way, then they're going to have less cognitive flexibility, less kind of flexibility in their mind. So even from performing at a high level, there we're limiting them in their exposure to different ways of thinking early on. And that's, you know, short-sighted. We also, I think, run a tremendous risk, and I see it with athletes, of kind of mental, emotional burnout. Um, you know, anybody, whether there's you know, the passion of playing, you know, the best we can as a high school athlete or for folks that want to continue, you know, have the opportunities to play collegially or beyond. Having passion for what you're doing is fundamental to being able to do it at a high level. And that passion uh, can be taken out of sport all too often for kids who specialize too early, just like the mental, emotional energy isn't there or the, you know, it's possible, right, for a parent to want it more than their kid wants it. Uh, and we, as the adults, need to get out of the way. What's the kid want? What fires them up, right? Like, what's the passion for them? And then we support them to get after that. I mean, there's, you know, not to make it too abstract or too out there sort of thing, but um, there's, there's an amazing quote I love from an author, Joseph Campbell. And it's, uh, and what he says is, people aren't looking for the meaning of life. What they're looking for is the experience of being alive so that their experiences on the physical level resonate with their innermost being. Like sport is an opportunity to have a, like this amazing expression of like what's possible as a human. Um, so if we don't give kids a chance to kind of explore different pathways, sport and outside of sport, uh, we're going to kind of dim that, that fire of their passions. Uh, 
And, and that's just, that's just unwise, right? Like we need people who are excited and fired up, not burned out because they played, you know, too much of some particular sport and don't want to do it past the age of, you know, 16. Chad, I got to give you this. I'm a track coach and, and I, I coach the throwing events in high school, which in high school, it's different than college. We just, in the state of Wisconsin, we have the shot put and the disc is so my experience with athletes, for example, you go to the state meet and, you know, that's the, that's the big meet. And obviously everyone wants to perform. Everyone wants to place, but what are some things that coaches out there could be telling their athletes that, you know, before they get in that ring, because they're obviously very nervous. And, and some of those things are, you know, if they haven't been practicing some of this stuff, what is something that just might help? Obviously every athlete's going to be a little bit different, but some suggestions that you may have. So one that I love, and, and one of the throwers of Wisconsin uses this one, and it's used across a bunch of sports, but it's called feet seat jaw. And, and so the way this practice works is, and I invite you know, anybody listening to join in, is you begin by feeling the sensations that are happening in your feet. Contact against shoes, socks, pressure against the floor, maybe tingling, warmth, cool. And then shift your attention to your seat, maybe where your body's making contact with furniture, contact with clothes, maybe a sense of groundedness. And then attention to your jaw, maybe your shoulders, somewhere where there's a bit of tension. And if you want, you know, you can repeat feet, seat, and jaw. So I think about, you know, a thrower, right? They're about to step into the ring, you know, whether it's, you know, in-season meet, you know, state championships, whatever level they're doing it at, um, you know, things can start to get a little intense, go a little bit fast, right? They can force it a little bit, press it a little bit, right? And maybe some of their technique goes. So we want to be able to come back, you know, feet on the floor is, you know, and Bob, this is in your gym, be where your feet are. I first, you know, when I first saw this line, like I loved it. And so this is training to be able to do that, right? Like right now, again, if anybody can feel the immediacy of their feet on the floor, you're in the present moment. The only time we can experience a sensation is in the present moment. So this thrower then is no longer swept away by worry of what might happen or what happened before. They're just present with what's happening. Then a sense of groundedness. And then that kind of check in with jaw, check in with shoulders. And naturally things start to kind of uncoil, unwind a little bit. And for a lot of athletes, they show up in these intense situations with too much tension. And they just need to scale it back, right? Not scale it back all the way to sleep, but just take it. You know, and this is you know, something, something I learned, you know, from uh, Coach Kalaji. Um, you all are probably familiar with it, but kind of this nine-tenths rule that a lot of athletes think that their best performance comes when they're at a 10 out of 10 effort. Uh, but for most athletes, that's not the case. They get too tight, you know, mentally and emotionally. So if they come back just a little bit, kind of nine-tenths effort, where it's still very high intensity, but they're a little looser, a little more open, then they tend to perform a little bit better. So something like a feet seat jaw can be a really simple practice, start to weave in, whether it's you know, right before competition or in training or you know, even in other parts of their lives, right? You know, at school or at home, it's a really simple practice to weave in. Last thing, get your edge advice for athletes. You already gave us some real good ones, just right with the feet seat jaw and the four, five, six, but anything 
for our coaches out there that are listening that they could quickly implement. And if you could just add one more, it'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's like so many interesting practices and one that we haven't really, um, you know, spent a ton of time with in our conversation tonight, but is, you know, as humans, we're hardwired to notice negative things. You know, scientists call it a negativity bias. So we're constantly scanning for the negative, for threats. And from an evolutionary perspective, this makes a lot of sense, right? Like, is that rustling in the bushes? Is that a lion about to attack? Or is that just the breeze going through? Because if our ancestors got that wrong, we wouldn't be here having this conversation, right? So we're still kind of constantly scanning for that negative. Uh, but the problem is if we're constantly scanning for negative, well, guess what we're gonna find all the time? Just the negative, right? Uh, so we need to balance that. So one of the ways we balance that is by noticing some of the good things that are happening. Uh, and so scientifically, we operationalize this uh, sense of appreciation as noticing the good that is already there. So it's not like Pollyannish, Hallmark, pretending things are okay when they're not okay. No, we can see the problems with mindfulness. If something needs to be fixed or cleaned up, we'll see that, but we need to balance that with seeing the good things. So we can do that with a really simple practice that coaches can implement tomorrow. And that's one good thing. So we can pause and reflect for ourselves. What's one good thing? It could be, what's one good thing that's happening right now? I mean, so for me, one good thing is I get to have a conversation with two really interesting people that I, that I enjoy, right? Uh, or I could reflect, what's one good thing from today? I get to have dinner with my son and my wife, right? What's one good thing that I'm looking forward to tomorrow, right? Well, I get to get up and I get to go to a job that I love at the University of Wisconsin, right? So each of us can kind of do this, just one good thing in that moment. And it kind of opens things up in a, in a very positive way. And I would argue allows us to see the world more clearly because there's always good stuff that's happening. There's always challenges happening. We need to be able to see clearly both of those things. I mean, I think that's great advice, right? I think, you know, what you look for in life is usually what you find. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? And totally. I've learned that, you know, in coaching and, and in business and, and things like that. Like if you're looking for all the positives, you know, and, and, and things like that that you have going on, um, you're typically going to find more. But if you're looking for negative and if you're assuming that, that people are against you to, you know, most people are going to be against you. And a lot of times they're not because you just assume they are, you know, so dog, you got anything else for Chad? Chad, just, you know, kudos one to the university yeah. of Wisconsin for being cutting edge and no question. You know, hiring you because there's definitely a, a huge need for it. And again, it's a very important topic that's helping tons of athletes out there. And so huge kudos to them. And again, we thank you for, you know, taking your time, away from your family tonight to be on the podcast. We really appreciate that. I learned a ton and we're super excited to get this thing uh, released on Sunday because it's definitely going to benefit all of our listeners out there for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Sunday morning, hopefully there's going to be a lot of Badger fans that wake up and they're going to be really happy because we got that that trophy in the trophy case where it belongs. Um, and, uh, you know. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. So Chad, appreciate you coming on. Um, we will, um, definitely be releasing this Sunday morning. Chad will tag you, you know, some of your stuff in the show notes Great. for people that want to follow Chad, um, or even see some of the different things that they're doing at the university of Wisconsin, which is definitely cutting edge. And we will see you next time. Chop it.